Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. And we are moving right along with our service this morning, which means that I'll just preach longer to make up for the time. So I'm kidding. I won't do that. Well, in many ways, John 7 and the beginning of John 8 is kind of just more of the same of what we've already read. Jesus makes controversial statements about himself at Jewish holidays, at one point claiming to be the light of the world. The religious leaders get more and more outraged in response. And crowds of people hold mixed opinions about who Jesus really is. But a few new things start to pop up as well. For example, we learn that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. More than once, we see some variation of the phrase, his time had not yet come. Jesus seems to believe that God is sovereignly directing his steps. And along similar lines, we start to see some curious predictions from Jesus about what will happen to him in the future. He speaks of going somewhere that the religious leaders cannot follow. And he speaks about being lifted up, whatever that might mean. So in some ways, these chapters are more of the same. But in other ways, we're continuing to get a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But this morning, as we turn to John 8, we'll focus our attention on the second half of the chapter, verses 31 through 59 specifically. Once again, Jesus gets into a tense back and forth with his fellow Jews. He has a knack for doing that, doesn't he? He makes more truly, truly statements, three to be exact, with the last being the most scandalous of all. But in these verses, two main questions seem to be in view. Question number one, what does it mean to be free? And question number two, what does it mean to be a child of God? So open up to John chapter 8, verse 31. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we read, we will pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to be in your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word. I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. Um, I pray that we would not treat your word like it's anything less than it actually is, uh, which is an incredible gift of your grace. Thank you that we don't have to guess about who you are. We don't have to invent you. We don't have to innovate to try and come up with a God who is worthy of our worship, but rather you've made yourself known to us through your word. And so I pray that we would make full use of this great gift that we have, that you've given us four gospels to paint a clear picture of who your son Jesus Christ is, and that, Lord, you've given us your spirit uh, to help us better understand your word, apply it to our hearts and minds, and thus our words and our actions. So be with us as we read from your word this morning. I pray that uh, in all its power that it would have the effect you intend on us, that you would make us word-shaped people, make us a Bible-shaped church, and do it all for your glory. 
We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you that we can come to you as your servants. We thank to you, thank you that we can come to you as your children. And I pray that you'd be with us as we learn more about what exactly that means today. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We will start in John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, that's number one, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. It's important to note the detail about Jesus's conversation partners in verse 31. They're described as the Jews who had believed him. Jesus is not speaking with hostile, conniving, cynical religious leaders. He's speaking with people who appear to have a genuine curiosity and maybe even faith in who he is. But do these people really believe? You have to wonder, partly because we've already seen some less than authentic faith in the Gospel of John. Think back last week to the people who only followed Jesus because they wanted food not because they actually believed in him. Maybe that's why Jesus gives that challenging definition of a disciple in verse 31. If you abide in my word. If you abide in my word. Well, as we're about to see, these people who Jesus is speaking with will not abide in his words. First, they take offense at Jesus' assertion that the only way to know the truth and the only way to be truly free from slavery is to follow him. Now, why would they be so put off by this comment? First, it's maybe obvious. Slaves were lower class in that day and age. Who wanted to be a slave? They took that suggestion as an insult. Second, the Jews took great pride in being known as God's chosen people. Like they said, they were offspring of Abraham, not slaves. We'll come back to that in a moment. And third, who exactly is enslaving them? I mean, sure, Rome bossed them around a little bit, but they weren't really Slaves. And yes, God's people had been enslaved in the past. Places like Egypt and Assyria and Babylon come to mind. But those days are long gone. How are they slaves? 
Well, Jesus tells them who their master is. Their master is sin. That's what's enslaved them. And it's only by following him that they can be set free. So once again, Jesus is ruffling feathers as he's prone to do in the Gospel of John. These people didn't even ask for this. Jesus just offered it up on his own. He's forcing the question of his audience. What does it mean to be truly free? That also leads into our second question. What does it mean to be a child of God? Jesus hinted at this in verses 35 through 38, but starts to elaborate in verse 39. We read there. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. That comment about sexual immorality could be a slight backhanded insult to Jesus, considering the somewhat mysterious circumstances of his birth. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So Jesus' audience believes that they're children of Abraham. But Jesus says, no, you're not. His standard is simple. If you were children of Abraham, you would act like Abraham. They're correct in saying that they are Abraham's biological descendants. But they're not Abraham's children. They don't look like Abraham. They don't sound like Abraham. And most importantly, they don't believe like Abraham. When we took our kids to baseball a few Saturdays, a fellow baseball dad came up to me and asked if Javen, Nolan, and Calvin were mine. And at that point, they were still behaving well, so I said yes. And he responded with, I knew they had to be yours because they all look just like you. That's the problem for these Jews. 
They claim to be Abraham's children, but they look nothing like their father. They don't imitate Abraham. They don't follow in Abraham's footsteps. And those actions speak louder than their words. Those actions speak louder than their family tree. Abraham was a man of faith. In Genesis 12, God called him out of the blue, told him to pack up his family, pack up everything he owned, and follow him, not even totally sure of where he was going. And sure enough, Abraham obeyed. Abraham trusted. Abraham believed God's promise that he would make of him a great nation that would bless the entire world. Ironically, the very people that Jesus is talking to are a fulfillment of that promise. However, when it comes to faith, they're no Abraham. Unlike their ancestor, they refuse to listen to God. When God speaks, Jesus speaks. So in the words of theologian Maury Povich, who is the father? Well, Jesus gives the harsh but necessary and true answer in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. They lie as the devil lies. They seek to kill as the devil seeks to kill. If it's true that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, these people's rejection of Jesus makes it clear that they're not really children of Abraham at all. They're not even children of God. They are children of the devil. So Jesus has addressed our two big ideas. First, what does it mean to be truly free? Well, the only way to be set free from slavery to sin is to follow him. And what does it mean to be a child of God? Well, a true child of God ought to look more like Abraham and less like the devil. A true child of God believes and obeys God's word, which means they believe and obey Jesus. So once again, Jesus is stating hard truths. He's not exactly following Dale Carnegie's advice on how to win friends and influence people. As you might expect, the Jews are none too pleased after being called slaves and children of the devil. I don't think you can totally blame them. But the conversation continues in verse 48. The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? As we saw in chapter four, Jesus liked to hang out with Samaritans. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, there's number two, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. 
Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, here's number three, the biggest one of all, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The Jews resorted to personal attacks. We're not in league with the devil. You are. You're the one with a demon, not us. So Jesus responds with that second truly, truly statement in verse 51. Which when you think about it, it's really just a further development of verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But here he adds, you will never see death. But now the Jews have Jesus right where they want him. Abraham, the greatest Israelite of all, the father of the entire nation, Abraham died. Surely you're not greater than he was. It's the ultimate gotcha. What sane? Well, the one Israelite man who is more than just a man. Jesus, the guy who hasn't even started getting mail from the AARP yet, claims that he has seen Abraham, who's been long gone. He says that Abraham, the man dead for generations, saw him and rejoiced. And in what may be the most audacious and direct claim to divinity that Jesus ever made, not just in the Gospel of John, but anywhere, he says in verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. If you ever hear someone argue that Jesus never claimed to be God, this verse is one of the first that you should turn to. How can a man who's not even 50 years old be before Abraham? Is Jesus claiming that he comes before Abraham in rank or importance? If so, that's already enough to get the Jews fired up. But if he's also claiming that he came before Abraham in terms of time, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Jesus is either a lot older than he looks, a time traveler, or, just hear me out on this, he has always existed. 
Didn't we read something about that back in chapter 1? John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Even before Abraham. And as for that title that Jesus gives himself, I am. What's the significance there? Back in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was speaking to a burning bush, he asked God his name. We read in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am is God's name. But here, Jesus adopts it for himself. So it's no wonder that the Jews wanted to stone him. He's committed blasphemy. He didn't help his cause by calling them slaves and children of the devil. He told them that he's the only one who can set them free from sin and make them children of God. He rounded it all out by claiming that he's greater than Abraham, existed before Abraham, and calls himself a title that only God can claim. But let's get back to our two main questions. Number one, what does it mean to be free? And number two, what does it mean to be a child of God? We've learned some about what that meant for the Jews in John chapter 8, but what does it mean for us? We often have a very shallow and quite frankly selfish understanding of freedom. We often think of freedom as the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with little to no consideration of what's best for those around me, and ideally no consequences. We like the idea of being free agents in the fullest sense of the term. Masters of our destiny, captains of our ship, totally autonomous individuals with nothing binding us and nothing holding us down. Well, the freedom that Jesus offers is not that. The freedom that Jesus offers is better. It's the freedom to be the people God created us to be. People who reflect his image in the world. Who glorify and enjoy him forever. Who live in harmony with his will. Who worship, serve, obey, and love him eternally. That's the freedom that Jesus has in store for those who believe in him. And anything less than that is slavery. Anything less than that is sin. Sin is slavery. In the Garden of Eden, Satan promised Adam and Eve freedom. They could finally get out from under God's oppressive thumb. They could make their own rules. Heck, they could even be like God themselves. Well, how did that work out for Adam and Eve? How has it worked out for their offspring? Not great. It ended with a curse. 
It got them banished from God's presence. It led to death, not life. Sin didn't free us. It enslaved us. But ever since, sinful men and women like us have fallen into the same trap. We buy into the same lie. Remember what Jesus said about Satan. He called him the father of lies. We too are deceived into thinking that sin can give us freedom. It can give us purpose. It can give us joy. Whether it's through sex or power or wealth or prestige, whatever it is, we pursue sin because we think it will make us free. But every time we just end up, sin is a cruel master. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ has come to set sinners free. The way that we're liberated from slavery to sin isn't by having no master. It's by having the right master. We are set free from sin. Both its domination in this life and its consequences in the next by abiding in Jesus' word. By trusting the one who died for our sins in our place on the cross where he was lifted up. By believing in him, we live. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul talks about sin as a form of slavery. He's mainly addressing those who seem to think that, well, because we're saved by grace, I guess that means we can sin all we want. And Paul says, no, may it never be. He goes on to argue, look, think back to when you were still slaves to sin. What fruit did that get you? How'd that work out for you? Not very well. But then he encourages us that the new master we serve, by becoming slaves of righteousness rather than being slaves of sin, in an ironic way, we end up being free. We get fruit for sanctification that leads to eternal life. Not by living for ourselves, but by living for Christ. In addition to this shallow view of freedom, we're also tempted to have a shallow and, quite frankly, unbiblical understanding of what it means to be a child of God. We hear that all people are God's children. And it sounds nice, but it's only half true. We're all God's children in the sense that we are made in his image. We all deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. We all have a common source. There is no human being you will ever meet who God did not create. And that's a big deal. That is incredibly important. And every single believer needs to keep that in mind when we interact with anyone we ever bump into on the street. In that sense, we're all God's offspring. There's no denying that. But as Jesus argued today, just because you're someone's offspring doesn't mean you're their child. The only way to be a child of God 
in the fullest, most glorious, most biblical sense of the phrase is to receive God's son, Jesus Christ. To refuse God's son is to refuse God himself. And if we refuse God as our father, that leaves only one other option. The devil. Verse 44. Being a child of God isn't about lineage. It's not about DNA. It's not about ethnicity. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. Full stop. But what happens if we bring these two questions together? How to be truly free and how to be children of God? Well, there's something better than being free to do what you want to do. It's being free to do what God made you to do. And there's even something better than having God as your good master. It's having God as your loving father. And both of these questions, how to be truly free and how to be children of God, both have the same answer. Jesus Christ. It's only by believing in him that we can be set free from sin. It's only by believing in him that we have the right to become children of God. And it's only by believing in him that we will never taste death. So may we as his disciples abide in his word. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to read your word. Even a chapter like this that is hard and in your face and has been the subject of much consternation throughout the years of biblical studies and theology. People having a tough time with how hard Jesus' words are in John chapter 8. And they are hard, but... In a way, these words are also incredibly gracious and incredibly kind and incredibly compassionate. Because the only thing worse than being told that you're a slave to sin and a child of the devil is not being told the truth that you're a slave to sin and a child of the devil. So, Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to make the truth known, to set sinners free from sin. To take orphans and enemies and rebels against God and to make us sons and daughters of God. Welcome in the family. Lord, thank you for your grace in this. And I pray that we as believers, that we would live as people who are free. That even though sin is not going to totally go away in this life, that it wouldn't dominate us the way it once did. That we would live with the confidence that you to eternal life. And Lord, I pray that we would live as children of God. That we would be reminded of your love for us. That we would serve you joyfully, knowing you as our Lord, but also knowing you as our Father. Again, Lord, we thank you, we love you, we honor you, we praise you. Thank you that you have set us free. 
And thank you that you've adopted us into your family. And thank you that it's all by faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.